Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, a letter to hand-picked outsiders. This is our study of 1 Peter. We've already read the passage together, but before we go any further, I just want to give you an idea of what we're actually looking at today, all right? It's important to know uh, who things are written to, right? So this didn't start off as just a book. This started off as a personal letter to a group of churches, and we want to know what churches it is that this letter was written to. We want to know who this man is that wrote this letter and why he might have written this letter, right? And we'll know more for certain why it is that he wrote this letter as we go along. But just to give you an idea of where we're going today, here's some things that I want us to get out of today. What is it that we should expect from today? And some of these you're going to get the answer for right away, okay? But here's the first thing that we should expect out of today. We should expect to answer the question, why is race and ethnicity important in 1 Peter. Why is that important? And we're going to see why that's important. Also, we're going to answer the question, why is 1 Peter important to us? Or rather, what is the big idea of 1 Peter? So that through these next 12 weeks, 10 weeks, as we go through this letter, each and every week, the big idea is going to be the same, and we're going to be working closer to that end. And then lastly, how should we expect to be changed during this series? Um, and if that sounds like uh, an invasive question or a question that is attacking your soul, good, that is what this question is supposed to be. Uh, because if we're coming to church each week just to learn, we're missing out on what it is that God has provided his church for, one of the reasons why God has provided the church for us. And so we need to ask the question, how should we expect to be changed? And each week that might sound a little different, but it's going to be working towards one goal. Okay, now what do we need to know about First Peter? If we're going to be spending 12 weeks in a specific book or a specific letter, we should know some things about this letter as we get started. So who's the author? Peter. Okay, all right, that sounds like a stupid question. Okay, but who is Peter? And now we all know Peter, right? Um, and we all like to make fun of Peter. Not these Peters, right? Uh, we like to make fun of this Peter. Why? Well, Peter may or may not have said some very... I wouldn't say stupid, I would say stubborn things in the past, right? And he has acted stubbornly. In fact, we could even say he has a stubborn love for Jesus, right? As we studied in the book of Ruth. Um, but we know Peter as the guy that got to go out on the water and walk on water. And what was the first thing he did? He did the exact thing that Jesus asked him not to do, Right? And when the time came and Jesus said that my time is at hand, what did Peter said? We're going with you till the end. And Jesus said, no, you're not getting it. Now, what Peter said wasn't wrong, right? He still thought that Jesus was going to set all the Jews free 
that weekend and that the Roman Empire would topple and that Jesus was going to be king forever, what he thought wasn't wrong, it was just the wrong time. And then when it came time for Jesus to actually go to the cross, what did Peter do? He sliced off a guy's ear. Right? This is how stubborn Peter's love is for Jesus. But then we also know that like all of us, uh, maybe in small ways, hopefully not in big ways, Peter denied Jesus. When given the opportunity to stand up and to say, yes, I know this man, he is the Messiah, Jesus said, nope, never heard of him. Or Peter said, never heard of him. I'm out of here, right? Just don't hurt me. But Peter has changed his tune, right? Jesus said to him that you were the rock, right? (laughs) You're the stubborn one on whom I'm going to build the church. And um, it's interesting to me then that Peter is the one that preaches that message on the first day of the church. And here we see Peter carrying over many of those same thoughts that we see in that message that he preached. Probably a very similar message that he preached all over the pieces of the world that he went to. Now, who was receiving this letter, right? A letter doesn't just go off into the air. If you are an emailer, which I hate emails, but they still come to me and I still have to respond to them. And when I write them, I never know if anyone's reading them, right? They just go out into the air. It's just like a WhatsApp. You send it, and if you don't see those little blue ticks, now sometimes they just don't show up and people do see it, but I get, I get anxious about it, right? But we know who this letter was written to. Uh, we read it there in the very first verse. And interestingly enough, those are a lot of the same cities or regions um, that Jews that were in Jerusalem at the time of Acts 2, when Peter preached that first message, many of those same Jews from those cities were there. All right, so we know that there are Jews in those cities. However, we also know that at this time in those cities, mostly the churches would have been made up of Gentiles. Now, we talk about this all the time, but Gentiles are anyone other than Jews. And I don't have time to go into the whole thing. We can go back and listen to other sermons or have other conversations if you don't remember. But here we go. God set aside one group of people, and that group of people were the Jews. That was Israel. And he said, I am going to do everything through you. What you need to do is be faithful, and I will work through you. And he promised them many things. And many of those promises still stand for Israel. Right? Some of them happened when they were brought back into the land, uh, after they were exiled, kicked out of the land. But some of them still stand, and there are promises still out there for Jews. But also here, we see Gentiles, that is, anyone that's not a Jew, becoming a part of those promises too. And in our very first week here, September the 4th, last year, that was mostly what our message was all about. The bringing of these two very, actually many, very different groups of people together. The problems that can come out of that and the ways in which the Bible has told us, God has told us through his word, that we can work through those problems of many different kinds of people coming together as one people. And we're going to continue to see that in 1 Peter. 
And what's the purpose, all right? Now, you're going to be seeing this in different forms every single week. But here's the big idea of 1 Peter. Readers should be growing, that is, the original readers and us as readers and hearers of God's word, should be growing in faith and faithfulness all of the time, but especially when they are or we are suffering. So we should be growing in our faith and who God is, who Jesus is and what he has done for us and growing in our faithfulness to what it is that Jesus has called us to. All right? And especially while we are suffering. And then we're going to see four big themes woven throughout the letter, okay? Suffering is going to be one of those themes. All right. So we've already talked a little bit about race or ethnicity. All right. And many of the words that we're going to read today, uh, we're going to see why that's important. Um, but this, are, this is how we should expect to be changed during this series. Um, we should see suffering as a good thing. We should see suffering as a good thing that leads to hope. Actually, suffering is a horrible thing. But it's a good thing because it leads to hope. And that's what we're going to see Peter teaching us. Also, we're going to be learning about holiness. And just why is it that if Jesus died for our sins and we're free from our sin, and we're free to do whatever we want, well, not really, but why, why do we need to work on faithfulness? Why do we need to work towards holiness? And we're going to be looking at that. And then lastly, what I love about Peter's message on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 is that it's all about Jesus. And what we're going to see in 1 Peter is that no matter what, Peter goes back to Jesus, right? Um, now, one thing that I'm going to work to do as we start off this letter is I'm not going to refer to Paul, okay? I'm not going to refer to Paul. Now, we love Paul. We're going to be studying a lot about Paul as we continue on as a church. We did in that previous message that I just spoke about on September the 4th last year, dig deep into Paul's work, right? But what I want us to see very clearly is Paul's writing and the message that God gave Paul, or Peter here, okay? See, I'm getting the two mixed up already. But I'm going to try to leave, at least for the first couple messages, to leave Paul outside of Peter for the time being, and then we'll be blending them together. Okay, so let's get started, shall we? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, first things first. We know it's written by Peter, right? We also know that this Peter is the same Peter that we know about that as we just talked about, was a disciple, right? One of the closest friends of Jesus. Jesus' closest students, right, were his disciples. And all except for Judas, with the addition of another, after um, Jesus ascended back into heaven, we know that they were given a new title, and this new title was that of apostle. Uh, no longer were they simply students of Jesus, although they continued to be. Uh, they were apostles. They were Jesus' messengers going out into the wor world. 
And this is exactly how Peter proclaims himself and frames himself to be. Now it's interesting that even though Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, we have more writings from the Apostle Paul. Why is that? Uh, we don't know why that is, but here's some, some interesting, something else interesting about Peter, okay? Um, even though we do only have two letters from Peter, by Peter, um, we also have the Gospel of Mark, which, wait a second, wait, that doesn't make any sense. It's the Gospel of Mark. Uh, okay, uh, Mark was a young man when Jesus was crucified. And in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we see the image of Mark just very briefly as a naked young man that's running away from the time when Peter cut off an ear, okay? And so what many people say is that Peter, uh, what we see in the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's account of what was happening and that Mark was the one writing it down, all right? So potentially, we have three writings from Peter, as it were, or three different teachings from Peter in our New Testament. Continuing, to those who are elect exiles. Okay, let's stop for a second. Elect exiles. That seems like very complex language. Um, why? Well, the idea of being elect, what does this mean? Uh, one of the words that we're using in the title of this series is handpicked, Right? Um, set aside, simply saying this, that God has handpicked the people that this letter is being written to. Who is this letter being written to? Christians in these regions and cities that are listed after that. So elect here means uh, handpicked, right, or set aside, that God has specifically chosen some people. Right? And that's who this letter is being written to. But exiles, what does that mean? If we were to fast forward 30 years from when this letter was written, we would see that there were Jewish exiles uh, in all of the areas around Rome. But this isn't 30 years into the future. This is around the year 62 AD. And what's happening here? Who are these exiles? These are Christians. Jews and Gentiles that are exiled or they're in a foreign place, a place that they don't want to be. Well, that also sounds strange because it almost seems like these people, as we're going to continue, are from these regions and from these cities. If they're in their hometown, how are they someplace that they don't want to be? How are they exiles, foreigners in their own land? And we're going to see as we continue on here, what Peter wants to say is that you are exiles because you are not in your forever home. You're not in your heavenly home. You're not in the new heavens and in the new earth. This place that we're in should feel foreign to us. We should look different and act different. The fact that we are elect, that we are chosen, that we are handpicked by God to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ should be outwardly visible to those around us. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here. You look like a stranger in the place that you're in, even in your hometown. Why? Because this isn't your final home. You are a stranger here. You are a foreigner here. You are an exile here. Now, these uh, regions or cities that Peter is, is listing here, 
Um, these are different places in the Roman Empire, which spread across all of the known world at the time. And uh, these are all in modern-day Turkey. Right? If you don't have a good uh, mind for geography, that's okay. Just we'll say this about Turkey now. Uh, here in First Peter, we see Christians that are being abused by the culture around them. In small ways, in big ways, in ways that we don't really understand or know about. And still today, Christians in this area are being abused in ways that we can't understand. Even more so than they were during the writing of this letter. And we can leave it at that. So, elect exiles, chosen sojourners, people wandering through a land that isn't theirs, or said just one more way, forced temporary outsiders, okay? Outsiders to the culture around them that are forced to be in the place that they are. Going on to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, all right, now I'm going to warn you here, we studied the Trinity when we went through our doctrine series, and this is a Trinitarian statement that Peter's going to make. It's important for that reason, okay? Uh, we're seeing all three members of the Godhead here in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, so this is something that God knew before anyone else knew, okay? Before the foreknowledge of God the Father... In the sanctification of the Spirit, the sanctification being made more holy over time, being gradually or slowly made to look more like Jesus, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right, now this is pretty heavy hitting, okay? Uh, in verse 1, we saw this word elect or chosen or handpicked. And here we're seeing this word foreknowledge. Now, there's a good reason why we're not diving into Paul's work right now. All right? Because we want to hear from Peter right now. Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of all of Scripture. But we want to be hearing from Peter's hand right now. Just what exactly does this foreknowledge mean and what does it mean for us? How important is it for us to understand what this foreknowledge means and to what extent or to how much God chose each individual person? Uh, Peter's not making a big point about that right now. He's not. But he is making a big point here in a couple of verses about why that foreknowledge should be a comfort to us. Okay? So, again, this foreknowledge or... Um, Knowing what is happening in the past uh, for the future, okay? So God knew in the past what was going to happen in the future. And he knew that each and every one of you sitting in these chairs, the chairs here, that know Jesus as your Savior, he knew in the past about you in the future and handpicked you, okay? And he's using this as a word for comfort. But we see the past, the present, and the future happening here with these three members of the Trinity, right? These three members of the Godhead that make up our one God, okay? And so let's see just what's happening here. So the foreknowledge, that is knowledge that God had in the past of God the Father in, okay, so now we're, we're in the present, the sanctification of the Spirit. The fact is that the people that are reading this letter 
Peter is expecting and hoping that they know Jesus as their Savior. And because of that, they are being sanctified. They are being carved, shaped, sanded down, chipped away at more and more to be looking like Jesus. And that's in the present. And then we move on to the future. Four. Okay? So you were picked in the past. You're being shaped now in the present. And then for the future, and for the near future, this is for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Now that seems really interesting. What is it? What is it? Why are we talking about sprinkling with blood? That just sounds gross, to be honest with you. Later, we're going to be drinking blood, <laughs> and now we're sprinkling it? What's going on here? Okay, so um, there's a couple of things that, that are going on here. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, God's first people, Israel, uh, they sprinkled blood, okay? Uh, sometimes this was from sacrifices, Okay? Uh, they would sprinkle blood on the altar, and this was a part of their sacrifice, or rather their good worship to God. Um, also, it could be like a covenant that's being made. In the Old Testament, there were covenants or promises made between people, uh, between countries, and then more specifically for us, between God and his people. And this blood that was sprinkled was to be a seal or a sign that everyone's in agreement about this promise, and that this promise should happen. Um, also, it can mean when a, it can be when a priest is entering into the priesthood in the Old Testament. Now, later we're going to see Peter talking about all of us being priests, right? So it is possible here that Peter is talking about us being sprinkled with blood because we are entering the priesthood. We are all to be holy servants of God that are sharing his good news with everyone that we know. But even more so than that, uh, another picture that we see then in the New Testament that Peter was witness to um, is the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. And that's the context here, right? We're talking about Jesus' blood. So what is this sprinkling doing? It's making us pure. Wait a second. This was in the present and in the future. What are, what are we talking about something that happened in the past? Well, Peter might be talking about the fact that as Christians, our sin was taken away. We were made clean and pure in the past. But he's also looking at the future. So uh, in the context of sanctification, right? He's saying you've been, you're going to continue to be sprinkled with that blood. Jesus' blood covers over all of your sin, past, present, and future. And because of that, you're going to continue to be sprinkled with his blood, continue to be sanctified. Now, there could be a little bit of each one of those meanings in there, but in the context of, of sanctification, I think that's what we're talking about. And then lastly, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, this is something that uh, I said I wouldn't bring up his name, but here it is again. Paul always says, right, uh, may uh, grace and peace to you. But Peter here is doing something a little bit different. Uh, he's combi combining these two thoughts. He's putting them together, this grace and this peace. Um, and not only that, he's saying, may it be multiplied to you. May it just keep coming to you, right? 
So just when you think that you've had all the grace and peace that you can handle, it's going to keep coming to you. What is this grace, right? This is God's free, undeserved gift, something that we didn't even think that we needed, um, something that we didn't know how to get, and God gave it to us, right? That's his grace. His grace was shown to us through Jesus Christ. But what is this peace? And now that's interesting, because um, for parents in the room, uh, and for people that have been parents in the room, obviously my four kids, you've seen them running around here, uh, there's not a lot of peace in my household. Uh, there is at about 8.30 at night when I finally club all of them on the head and put them down for bed, right? But other than that, there's not a whole lot of peace in my life, right? Uh, this is a different kind of peace, okay? The, everyone that, that Peter's writing to here, they know this word like I'm talking about before, peace. Oh no, everything's fine. Everything's good. During this time where they lived, there was this thing called uh, Pax Romana, or Peace of Rome, Peace in Rome, okay? And basically, Rome was horrible, okay? <laughs> uh, sometimes they did really good things, and more often than not, they did horrible things, and they killed a lot of people, but they called it peace. And they said, we're going to make peace for everyone that is underneath of us, just as long as everyone underneath of us obeys us. Okay, um, but so this is this would have been in the minds of the readers, but Peter, as we're going to see, is talking about a whole different kind of peace here, uh, a peace that we can only have in Jesus. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so this grace and this peace that's being uh, always increased in us, that's uh, always undeserved and unobtainable by us, that is, uh, in, it's given to us, it's inherited by us, it's not ours, this is why we have it. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Therefore, we have grace and peace to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right, now this is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing here. In these first three verses, we've seen three big ideas that we're going to continue to see throughout this whole series. And that is grace, mercy, and sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is a big word, but we'll just say it like this. It's authority. Um, it's control. And when we talk about it with God, we talk about it as good control, as good authority, because he is a good God that takes care of us and gives us what we need, whether we know we need it or not. And so we, we have here that God is the one that has caused us to be born again. Why are you born again? How do you, how were you saved by Jesus? Well, because I said a prayer once. Eh. Well, because I said that I have faith. Eh. You have been born again because God caused you to be born again. That seems... It might seem like we're, we're, we're splitting hairs, and it might seem like this isn't very important, but let me tell you, this is a huge comfort to each and every one of us. 
Why is that? Okay, we've all heard powerful testimonies, right, of someone that has gotten saved in a radical way, right? Like a guy that's been using drugs for 30 years, has been on the bottle for 30 years, and then he gets saved, and bam, put the bottle down, put the drugs away, and I'm clean for life. Okay, what if he isn't clean for life? Does that make the work of salvation that God did in his life any less? No. Should that man repent of his sin and put down his bottle and put down the drugs? Yes. But just because he had a radical story of salvation doesn't mean that he did it himself. I put down the bottle and I stopped doing drugs and then I got to be closer friends with Jesus? No. Right? For each and every one of us in this room, God the Father caused us to be saved. So we can tell great testimony of what it is that God has done in our lives. Better yet, we should do what Peter does and tell great testimony about what Jesus has done for each and every person. Okay? Um, so I know I'm always encouraging you to go out to be sent, right? Um, and oftentimes, for me, this can become very frustrating, not to be telling you that, but in my own life. Because I feel like every day I go out and I am sent, and yet what fruit do I see from it? Uh, often not very much fruit. Uh, like maybe some of our friends here in this region that Peter is writing to, uh, perhaps I get people that don't want to talk to me anymore, Right? They avoid that guy. Oh, that guy's the pastor. Avoid him. He's a Baptist. Definitely avoid him. Okay? Um, but just this week, the strangest thing happened. And I say this not because, again, I'm very proud of it in and of myself, uh, but just to encourage you, okay? Uh, this week on Monday, I think, I got a message out of the blue from someone who had my phone number that I didn't have their phone number, and they said, hey, Wade, my life is a complete disaster and I want to change it, but I don't even know where to begin. Wow! <laughs> How many times have I tried to share the good news with somebody, and no one wants to hear it or thinks that they need it, and then out of the blue, this guy, I just get a message from him that says, my life is a mess, and I need change. Now, don't get too excited yet, because I do talk to this guy regularly, weekly, I have good conversation with him, not always deep conversation, but I know that this guy does have problems, and he does struggle, and I knew that the first thing he would do is try to back out of the conversation. All right? I didn't let him back out of the first one. He's backed out of a couple others. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is working in this guy's heart. This guy does not know Jesus. He's been in church all of his young life and still doesn't know what's going on, and he needs a lot of help. Be praying for him. But in the meantime, what he really wanted from me was for me to tell him some good news about how he thinks my life works. I don't know if my life works or not. Uh, how he can make his life work. Except for I didn't have any good testimony about how my life works. All I could do was sympathize with him and say, I've been depressed too. Yes, Things don't always work out for me either. Let me tell you about someone that, <laughs> that can help you in this, and that person isn't me, right? So that is our testimony. 
Um, I need to be done, but let, let's just keep going for one more minute. Uh, and then I'll ask for Tara's forgiveness later, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, so he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What is this living hope? Okay, just one more thing here. Um, I'm not someone that's easily uh, encouraged. I don't like being encouraged. I don't know why. Tara finally gets through to me sometimes and encourages me. But what is the purpose of life without Jesus? I don't know. A lot of people have a lot of really good reasons for living uh, aside from Jesus. I don't really understand that. For me, without Jesus, the point of living is to die one day. And I'm not trying to read into Peter too much, but simply say this. I think Peter's saying here, you have two options. You can either go on living or you're going to keep on dying. And he says, this hope that we have in Jesus, because of his resurrection, we have no hope without the resurrection. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, but I'm not talking about Paul. Uh, (laughs) um, We have hope and we can have faith because one day we know that we will also be resurrected and be given a new body and a new home just like Jesus was resurrected with a new body, right? And that new body and that new home will match this new life that you and I already share in Jesus, okay? To an inheritance, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, Imperishable, that means it never goes away. There are three things in Scripture that imperishable is talked about for. God, God's Word, and then what's the third one, Wade? (laughs) And then our resurrection bodies. These are the only three things that imperishable is used to describe. Things that will never go bad, never go off, never weaken or get sick. God, God's Word, and our future bodies, and Jesus' current body. Okay? Undefiled, that is something that is not touched by sin. And unfading, it never goes away. Now here's the most amazing part of this verse, and it's just like the promise that we have before. Uh, we, we keep this, right? We, if we just keep the faith, we have all this. No, it's being kept for us. In heaven, the promise of this new body, this new home to match our spiritual life that we know now is being kept for us in heaven. Okay, being kept for us by God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation. Okay, so who's it being kept by? By God in his power. It's being guarded. Now, here's where we come in, okay? How? What's one of the ways that it's being guarded? It's being guarded through faith. Right? The faith that each and every one of us, if we know Jesus as our Savior, have been given. Right? Now, as we continue in 1 Peter, we're going to see this interplay. These two things coming together of God's electing, handpicking us. His foreknowledge of the fact that he knew that we would be saved, but then also... The fact that there is a part to our lives now that does rely on faith. And this promise in the future is for us. Right? If it is guarded by the faith that has been given to us by God. 
Now, don't read too much into that yet, but as we continue, we're going to see where Peter's going with those thoughts. Through faith, for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So when do we get this new body and this new home? Not now. And this too is a comfort to the people that are receiving the letter. He's saying, your lives seem hard right now. That's because you're under persecution. Your lives might seem miserable right now, and that's true. But you should have hope. Why? Because something great's going to happen to you now, and all of the blessings that God has promised you, you're going to receive here and now? No, because those would be perishable. That would be like milk that could go off, right? That, could be, that would be undefiled. That would be something that's covered in sin. That would be fading, something that we would taste, but would leave our tongue as soon as we tasted it. It's being kept for us in the future, right? It's being guarded for us for the future. And so Peter's saying, look, your lives are hard now, but that's not the way that they're always going to be. Right? And we're going to see as we go um, that we're going to see just how he encourages us to be living our lives in such a way to match up with that title of being handpicked that we already have. Oh, you're sent. You're not dismissed because we're not leaving yet, but you are sent. From this moment on, you are sent out into the world to share this good news. Okay? To share this good news that God has set people aside to be saved. And you know what? It's your responsibility to go about sharing the gospel and to find each one of those people, okay? <laughs> Not all on you, but that is our responsibility. It's expected of us. Now, one of the things um, that we see uh, in First Peter is that this letter isn't just written to individuals, right? If uh, Peter were writing this letter just to you or to me, um, this letter would look a lot different. He's writing this letter not to individual Christians who go about their lives and do whatever it is they want to do throughout the week, and maybe they show up to church on Sunday. No, no, no. He's writing this letter to people that see their desperate need for Jesus and see their desperate need for his bride, the church. One of the ways that we know that we are a part of the church, that God has given us to continually set ourselves aside, to remember who it is that Jesus is, what it is that Jesus has done, what promises he has made for us for the future, and then what that means for our lives here and now, um, Jesus gave us a way to remember all of that. And he gave us many ways, right? His word, the singing of his word, knowing his word well enough to pray it, <laughs> and then the picturing of his word through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. Um, in Mark chapter 14, we see this. Starting verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, Jesus that is. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We're going to read 1 Corinthians just before we share in that meal together. But I want to say this real quick. If we were to look at the Lord's Supper through the glasses, through the lenses that Peter has given us today, maybe we could say it like this, that the Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of the promise that has been given to each of us and to each of us together as the church. The promise of a new body and a new home along with the new life that we already know. That we have. Over the next couple of minutes, um, uh, the Apostle Paul does implore us to take time to examine ourselves, to look at our lives, to confess any known sin, and to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Uh, during this time, remember that even though Paul says that if you're coming to the table unpure, that's a very bad thing and you shouldn't do it, he doesn't say that to scare you away. I've heard one pastor say it like this, the end of that warning is to mend or to heal. So the end is to mend. You're supposed to go to a brother or sister that you have offended. You're supposed to go to Jesus and let him examine your heart along with you. Right? So over the next couple minutes as I prepare the Lord's Supper, please do that. And remember that the end is to mend, not to drive you away from the table, Okay? you're here today and you're just visiting, um, but you're a member of a church somewhere else, uh, please come on up. We would love to have you partake with us. Um, for all those that are regulars here, um, if you're ready to come up, please do. Uh, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please don't. Um, if you're a child, we don't have any children in here, so that's fine right now, uh, but it's not for children. This is for the adults, and so we would ask for all the adults that feel like their hearts are ready to partake in the table, please come on up, just grab a glass and grab a chunk of bread and um, hold that and then we'll pray together, okay? All right, you can come on up whenever you're ready. First Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses, verse 23, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, for which, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Father God, we love you. We do thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you uh, for this picture of his death on the cross that uh, he gave to us. Lord, we, we do thank you for your son's body that was broken for us so that our bodies don't have to be broken. We thank you for his blood that was spilled, that covers over each and every one of us, uh, that gives us a righteousness, a holiness that was never ours and that we don't deserve. And God, we know that because of that blood, 
Um, when you look at us, you don't see our sin, but you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus, and we thank you for that. God, as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, know that we do so uh, in remembrance and also in celebration of that event, ready to go out and to share that so that others may celebrate with us. Each time that we participate together in this, we are reminded of the cross. We are reminded that our sin has been atoned for, covered over. We are free. We are forgiven. We are acquitted. That is, that there is no guilt against us. We can be reminded that we are adopted into God's family. And we are reminded, as Peter is going to continue to teach us over these next 10 or 12 weeks, that the cross is the model for our life. And that we are called each time that we eat and drink together, afresh and anew, to serve alongside one another and to sacrifice alongside one another. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.